Also, we need more drunk posting from the Master of Mediocrity. Because time is an illusion. It's all. All right, welcome back to Girls Talk Comics. In your head, zombie master <laughs> mediocrity. Hey, that didn't work. Too it didn't many work, syllables every time. Ah! Yeah. Anyway, I'm gonna get my introduction right this time. I'm the master of mediocrity, Aaron, and I'm your lieutenant of literature, Jessica. <laughs> that felt like so '90s intro. Sorry about that, everyone. <laughs> it's it's okay. We we gotta lean into what we're best at, and as <laughs> People who had our formative years in the 90s, I think it's fair. <laughs> Comes from a very honest place. Speaking of honest places. Ooh, honest places. Honesty. Give me the truth. Speak your truth. We have a very truthful book. It's like a full fucking book, actually, that we're commentating on today. Is this a commentary or is this like a review or what are we, Erin? Uh, we're... We're a conversation because I feel like commentary and reviews require us like sitting beforehand and deciding on a theme and a message and a script. Whereas, you know, we kind of just come in cold call with these where it's just like, hey, we read this. We kind of have an idea of how the other person reacted. But none of these ideas we discuss with each other beforehand. It's actually just really surprising that we're mostly on the same page all the time. <laughs> like, huh. this is... Well, I guess that's true. Wow. We're unoriginal, yeah. I guess, Aaron. One day we'll have conflicting opinions and no redemption episode. It won't be a monstrous. One day we will legitimately just disagree on something. It'll break like, the universe, I'm, I'm pretty sure. It'll be such a test for our relationship, though. Like, It's true. Can we come back from that? We'll have an arc. <gasps> yes. Like a tournament arc? Yes. Shown in anime, but can it be like high school slice of life shown in anime? Because that's the that's where it's at. Heck yeah, I really love those characters that have the <laughs> laugh where they laugh yes. into the back of their hands and their eyes are kind of rolled up. I love yes. those characters because I'm like, you look like a fool every time. Oh, I could, I'm just rolling through my favorites. I couldn't in my head be right that now. character though. Toradora is what I'm thinking of. The little petite girl. Who's like just angry all the time? I relate to her. You know, her, we're still very, very different because I'm not a, a character of a human in a cartoon, specifically in anime. I'm an American adult woman who's just angry. Isn't that the way that you know that you've graduated from Weeboo status is when you go, oh, my life will never be an anime. And like you just internalize that and you go, okay, well, that part of my life is gone now. And no more Naruto running through the school hallways. I think for me, it was more being like, my life will never be an anime. And God, am I relieved. Like, yeah, just, no kidding. The idea of maintaining that drama. So much stress. There's so much drama in it. And it's like, I would rather uh. just not. Just imagine like, with all the slice of life where it's like in high school and they have to go through this ama amazing coming of age story, just imagine being in your 30s and meeting up with your high school classmates and being like, you remember that time when you were a shonen protagonist? Yeah, that was fucking <laughs> weird. <laughs> just like, that's a conversation I, I never want to have. There's so much about high school I want to move on from. Like My favorite anime and manga are the ones where the parents are exactly like that you know they're like oh i remember being a shonen anime character <laughs> you know what i mean like 
Like one day you won't be like obsessed with a handhold, yeah. but today is not that day. Honestly, I love it when mothers are like that. When mothers come in and be like, I remember when that happened to me. And they're like, you've also been haunted by some spirit? What? And they're like, yeah, it happens all the time. <laughs> That's kind of a good metaphor, though, if you think about it, because it's like, you know, every every kid growing up thinks that nobody understands them. It's a good sort of mirror yeah. into the actual reality of what kids feel like. Parents don't understand. And parents are like, oh, no. Yeah, like, you think that you're alone in this, but you're really not. And I, I'd seen some shit too, little one. So. And now we got the weeboos that are coming in who just started watching My Hero Academia. Is that their first one? And I'm like, oh, my God, you're an infant. You know, you gotta you gotta embrace them and protect them and be like, hey, so you're probably going to watch a lot of weird stuff. And we're just going <laughs> to talk to you about how, no, it's not okay to be objectified at 14. All right. So yes. we're going to we're going to prepare you to not be groomed. Like let's yes. we're going to cut that off ahead of time. God, that is, that is exactly topical for what yes. we're about to talk about. <laughs> magic a little bit a little bit um less weeaboo more grooming and protecting from sexual assault so we read the book are you listening the graphic novel are you listening by tilly walden and what were your thoughts on it okay so my first thought was like what the fuck's happening right the visual style is very unique it is one of those that takes a little bit to get used to I don't know. How do I explain this? It's not that the art is bad. When I have problems acclimating to it, it's just that it's very visually different. It's very dark in this particular case because the first part of it happens at night. Yeah, it's very surreal. Mm -hmm. And so basically they're doing a road trip through West Texas. They, one is a runaway, uh, 18-year-old runaway. And then the other one is a another kind of runaway. I think she's 22. Two women. So they're just doing a road trip through West Texas and sort of they they happen to have been neighbors so they knew each other and, and ugh. it doesn't really address the danger of hitchhiking as a woman or as a young woman like they kind of like skim over that but that kind of feeds into the surrealness of it right and and the only thing that this kind of mm-hmm. i want to say if you're if anyone's familiar with Alice isn't dead it is a sort of surreal noir love story about exactly kind of like this is about the back roads of America so it's based on a trucker who's driving around America and it's got this surreal feel to it where like crazy things are happening like magic and you know like this very neo-American sort of love story. A love story to the great vastness of America and the way that it feels driving across such a large continent as part of an American experience. And I really felt that in this comic because it's not too far into it whenever... Hmm. You really do start to go, this is weird. Like, the people aren't saying the right things. And I feel like it does feel alien, sort of, to drive from one state to another and realize that everything's different, even though your neighbors feels very much like driving into a different country sometimes. And it's very jarring. They are all still in Texas. I know. Like, but I don't think it- they ever leave <laughs> Texas. <laughs> yeah. But it's still kind of that same feeling, I think. It like gives you that same sort of sense of noir, like... There's huge, vast amounts oh, yeah. of space, and humans can't possibly fill this space up. And the humans that do sometimes feel mm-hmm. very creepy. As someone who has driven through Texas a lot, it's how Texas feels. Yeah, like like me in rural America, small town gas stations and stuff. If I went to a small town gas station in the middle of West Texas, I would also feel like, ooh, these people are fucking spooky. <laughs> and that's just because of, you know, mm-hmm. like your mind does weird things when surrounded by 
huge amounts of space and little sleep on long road trips. So, like, yeah, I felt like that is the thing that stood out to me the most while I was reading this book. The tone of it felt very surreal and magical. Like, magical realism, but also, like, the themes Mm -hmm. were, in a weird way, like, supported by it sense of like unreality (laughs) Uh, and the traumatic experiences that these women are going through they felt like they were perfect for each other like for to convey the themes that she was talking about in a respectful way like this is all about like overcoming trauma with the people that you find while you're going through those journeys and, and finding advocates and being there for each other as advocates and how it can be found in strangers where it isn't doesn't feel safe to find in your own family even like so I, I felt very honest it felt like yeah. this author is very familiar with the community and the way that these things are these things are portrayed and I guess I should say that both women are LGBTQ and you know of the same age but dealing with very different things and they don't lean on like oh secretly they're in love you know like they're just allowed to be humans going through their trials and tribulations together in a vehicle for hours at a time. It was really good. I'm glad that she made me read this. So the character B is the younger character, and then there's Lou, who's the older character. Lou is definitely very much an adult, where B comes off uh, juvenile in comparison. And, you know, you hit on a lot of really cool parts of even Tilly, the author, about her and her experience. So Tilly Walden, she lives in the United States, and Are You Listening is Tilly's seventh book. This is the first of her books that I think you and I have read, but kind of looking through her bibliography, she does keep to a theme. Um, cats are <laughs> are a reoccurring role. Um, women loving women, kind of a lesbian representation is a reoccurring theme. And that surreal kind of art. So two of Tilly's major influences are Manga and Studio Ghibli. Mm -hmm. She very became focused on line work because of that. And after hearing that Ghibli was what made her influence for her, I mean, it just clicked. Like, the art made sense in the fact that this is similar to how Ghibli movies share their story. And certainly in titles like, no, in Spirited Away, where Mm -hmm. as the spirits are coming in, to um the bathhouse like i started thinking of those scenes in my neighbor totoro as they transitioned from one setting to another it just it started to kind of recontextualize all of the art it made it easier to read it so i don't know if hearing that if it'll make you easier to read that too so she when we talk about representation in it that was actually kind of a huge part of tilly's personal growth I'm going to start referring to her as Walden because male authors are referred to by their last name. And I think lady type authors deserve the same respect. So Walden, her current work is very young adult and queer focused, but it wasn't as first. She's quoted to have not, she didn't want to write queer characters at first because she also wasn't out in her own life. Like she was still closeted and she felt like she couldn't write the characters until she came out on her own. Her book Spinning is I think one of the stories that was where she kind of came out. And Spinning was about her time. I think she was a, a competitive ice skater and she did that for like 12 years 
from like through wow. childhood. And so that was her almost um, autobiography experience for it. I've not read it. I would like to now. Um, it was also an Eisner winner in 2018. But it, it was her way of processing her 12 years in figure stating, of being closeted, of coming to terms with who she is as a person and what she really wanted to do and enjoy, which is art. And I think a lot of personal life also come out in her stories. Uh, she also really likes architecture. Are you listening? We don't see that as much, but she, I think she shared some scenes from her book. I love this part on her Instagram. And it, it looks like she uses architecture as a big backdrop, but not in the sense of there are these two women moving through a city and you're seeing these massive buildings, but it's more like women who are using building as chairs and tables and like sleeping in the streets, like they're giants in a smaller city. But those are just the scenes that I saw Again, not something I've read, but I mean, the architecture looks beautiful I'd l- and it adds that kind of surreal uh, tone to it by having the proportions be so different. Anyway, so you, you touched on a lot of stuff that I think is really important to her as a, as a storyteller and a person. I think you can tell her love of architecture and setting because she uses setting to such a large effect in this mm-hmm. to sort of convey this surrealist sort of experience of wandering through empty spaces, both internally and externally, sort of navigating places inside of yourself. And and, and I think it's always a very strong thing when people use empty space as just empty space. She does a lot of kind of leaving the edges to your imagination, or just there's a scene where there's a minor car accident and you see just black. You know, for two, basically two pages, you mm-hmm. see just a small splash of color and then it is black. And I always really respect that in, in authors when they trust themselves to not fill every square inch of a book and let you do like a visual journey as well. Um, I think that's something, cause there, there's a space for teams. Gra- most graphic novels that we are reading have multiple teams. We have a colorist, we have a person who does the line work, we have a person who writes, we have a person who draws, and sometimes we have multiple authors. And I think that mm-hmm. when we kind of venture away from those issue-based books into full novels, you really get to experience a whole different pacing and a whole different set of ways to use the medium, right? Because there's still panels. It's not like there's not panels and it feels very familiar to people who are used to reading individual issues. But I feel like there's some sort of a division in the community between like more artistic ways to convey stories like this and sort of your superhero groups, right? Your Marvel, your DC. I feel like this is very much oh, yeah. a place I haven't focused on and I want to more because it's not like it's much more expensive than mm-hmm. your normal trade back right like your trade backs are it's actually cheaper than some yeah like some of your big house stuff is like 25 for a trade back and this is this was 18 on the back scan bar you know and that and that is just so much for what you're getting like this is something i'm going to go back and read multiple times i'm going to give this to friends i'm going to offer this to people who like comic books who haven't really explored these kinds of things and it and I feel like it's something that's more communal about it too where you're talking about something that's personal to the author or you're talking about an individual story it feels a lot more like handing somebody a good book that you've read you know it t- kind of feels more legitimate as like a form yeah. of consuming stories I don't know I've, I was very impressed by 
the, the way that this book made me feel as I was reading it. You know, I, I love being transported in that Good. way. I really enjoyed reading books that feel very surreal. You know, this kind of put me in the mind of House of Leaves. If you're interested in horror books that do interesting things with the way that they're laid out, it puts me in mind of that podcast I keep talking about. It it puts me in mind of some really old, some really old Twilight Zone movies that I've, that the shows that I've watched, you know, like it, it feels very much like an exploration. And I, and I really, I really like that. Like it was, it was a really pleasant thing once you get sort of settled into the experience of reading it. And I feel like the next time I read it, I'm going to get so much more out of it because like most good pieces of literature, you're going to pick up on more every time. Like there's metaphors in here that I'm kind of struggling with. Yeah. Like there's tree metaphors and road metaphors and, you know, the childhood disappointment with your parents and I feel like the next time I read it, I'm going to feel more of that throughout. Like the way that the author has done this, it feels like I can trust her to teach me something new about her work every time I read it. And I don't know how to be much more like glowing than that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just excited you're saying that because yesterday when we were talking about it, you were kind of, I think, overwhelmed by the idea of reading it a little bit like how I was with LaGuardia and being like oh god a pregnancy book I think you were like oh god a book and (laughs) you and I started by reading the different titles because I started with are you listening and I I did really enjoy it and I I kind of I think struggled with the same components of the surrealism that you did the you know what what scene what tone are we setting and kind of sitting and reflecting on it because I read it a week or so ago Uh, It was a chunky thing, and I was like, I need to knock this out. Um, And thinking about it, it does kind of tie to that message of kind of lost identity and a feeling of being adrift. There's that entire pool scene where B opens up about everything that was happening to her at home. And she becomes so nondescript and even disappears from the images at some point. And Tilly starts bringing in slow details about her and what's going on and around her and it, it it it's a story about both of them overcoming grief and it, it's a story about mourning and healing and running away from very existential and real threats and then very surreal threats like the bizarre traffic or road reinforcement folks yeah. who are those creepy federal government agents who are following them which this is a really good warning on just avoiding mysterious men who pull yeah. you on the side of the road and are like I'm from the government and you're like no don't trust you like lose instincts <laughs> amazing where she's like I've never seen a cat there's a cat in this book also yeah. and she's like I don't know what you're talking about I've never seen a cat before I, I don't know what a cat is. <laughs> She's like, we don't have a cat. <laughs> Never and the cat's one. like in her little like allergic deathly. Wouldn't be around him. No. Uh, <laughs> one of the things that really stood out to me is when B really kind of gets through her recovery and has to be there for Lou. Because Lou really kind of came out and supported B in a way that B hadn't been supported. And B finally had to come through and find Lou and rescue Lou and be there for her. And she finds this woman who's the owner of the cat. She says something about the cat, about how Diamond is just kind of where she needs to be when she needs to be there. And I thought that was an interesting theme or an interesting idea of the fact that it's just 
for B and Lou, they are where they needed to be on their travels, yeah. and Diamond was there for them like she needed to be, and it was just a, such a comfort to come to at the end of the book when they are very much struggling with very real emotions. And I love that it's all, it's not explicit until the end and you get the mm -hmm. subtle forms of it. And it just being told that like, she's just, she's there when she needs to be. It, it, it makes it seem much more transient and coupled with the art, like the pain that they're going through is very transient. Everything is going yeah. to pass and everything is yeah. going to end and to, I don't know that stuck out to me and it, it might not be that everything's going to end but it's a journey so right like that that was really cool yeah. it also kind of reinforces that some people are best able to approach their own grief through service to others maybe their first bit of healing is by being there for someone else who's struggling with something similar like I know that's a very big theme in a lot of like alcoholism and drug addiction circles and like anything that has like a group therapy feel to it i know that's something that a lot of people do you know people who have suffered with domestic violence or who've suffered with rape who have suffered with like any sort of domestic abuse in the home you know that a lot of that feeds back into the nonprofits that that are there to help you know they want to be there for the next person and by doing that service by being there for those people by advocating for those who can't advocate for themselves they find some sort of peace and i think you see that a lot toward the end where b does come through for lou but then at the end lou you know kind of makes like the decision that she's going to go home and she's going to face her life as mm -hmm. it is and is ready to and strong enough to and then gives that last bit of service to be to make her own journey forward you know like their time together has been productive yeah. and they're there for each other in the future but right now they both have to walk their own paths and i really just think that's such a mature way to look at the grief cycle totally and like their journeys are two entirely different things too like one of them is trying to get her agency back and the other one is like i have been so confident and self-sufficient what do i do with loss you know, yes. and it's like, it's that totally different of like, I have to reclaim who I am. And it, it's not a dichotomy. It's not a spectrum. They're just, it's mm -hmm. just different stories. And the other one's like, now I have to sit and I can't avoid it. And I can't keep working and doing and just suffocating under all this other stress and all this other pain. I like half like I have to cope with the fact that I've lost a beloved family member. So it's 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 really poignant. The women loving women theme in this feels very genuine. Like a lot mm -hmm. of the male gaze looking into the LGBT community is over overly sexualized. And seeing like people I know in my real life, friends of friends, my personal friends, myself, you know, like that's not how our reality is all the time. And sometimes the confusion there is like, should it be? Because all of the things that we're seeing are these overly sexualized accounts of like being yep. able to love a woman in an aromantic way that is still very real, you know, and, and supporting each other, like, as sisters, mm -hmm. you know, instead of lovers, is a very strong thing that I think... I think yeah. The evolution of their relationship, too. Like, right. Like, I just think it's so important that she's done this, you know, that Walden has really 
leaned into, because I know we want representation in romantic relationships, but I think there's such a strong need, especially now that the spectrum has opened up so much in the last couple of years that I've seen people being much more vocal about being demisexual or asexual or, you know, like, like romantically and like bi or, you know, like all of these different ways to express yourself, you know, and seeing literature come out that kind of enforces that and leaves you space to sort of understand that relationships take many forms. And, you know, like this, this is a legitimate form of, of family. Like find found family is legitimate. And every time I see that in a book, I find that very important, but also, you know, like you don't have to just marry or fuck your way into a family. Like you can, you can create one through sisterly love or through like just friend, friendly love. And, and that's fine too. And in fact, that's sometimes more important. That might be the most important relationships that you form in as an adult, when you finally are able to step away from, drama and the struggle and the way that our society pits us against each other, you know, and step away from the the internalized misogyny, right? That is super important. I think I was 25, 26 years old before I was able to just have an undramatic, non-show-in, non-slice of life group of girlfriends that really actively supported each other, you know? And that is so much a important part of my life now I just couldn't imagine myself before it and I just want women to who are young to have exposure I want women to be able to do that in high school when when things are the most traumatic when we are the most vulnerable to these different types of abuse and grooming and predatory behaviors I want that to be internalized shit if we could do that in the womb that would be amazing like just like immediately like let's just have this be the way women interact with each other forever now please fuck the patriarchy let's go to a matriarchy like women love women women support women and I just yeah like this book gave me all sorts of strong feelings about that too like as I was reading it I was like oh my god I love them together like this Ugh, I don't need to ship everyone romantically and I definitely had no instinct to do that with this book and I feel like sometimes that's kind of like queer baiting is such a big thing that I haven't really understood for so long and now like I feel like I'm seeing it everywhere and it makes me sad and this is this is just like (laughs) the palate cleanser for that yeah I'm more than anything just excited. It was my idea to read this. I really pushed for this. And I'm just, I'm glad it finally, it happened. And I was thinking about it. Somebody commented they've they've read some of their other works and really enjoyed some of Walden's earlier books. I think that this is a book that's definitely going to go on my queer reading recommendation list. We, we've talked about how representation matters. And this is, I think, such a genuine story that is written from a lived perspective that I think people crave in their media, certainly from my friends. Um, I, I feel like they kind of crave this representation. And it's something I want them to read, if only so I could talk to somebody like else about <laughs> it in a non-podcast situation. Um, <laughs> but I also, I, I have a lot of friends I want to get into comics, and it's so hard finding, you know, that that lived voice. And I, I would love to slide this a few to a few of my friends and be like, "This is our unofficial reading club. Please read this, and <laughs> let me know what you think." Um, this is like my copy of the book. This is something I would love to pick up and read again. Like, I think I've talked about how Sweet Tooth was one of the first comics I ever read, but I started reading graphic novels long before I touched weekly floppies. Persephone, 
uh, Habibi. Those were some of the first like novel books that I read, like graphic novel books. And then I started to go into trades and then I went into weekly things. So Are You Listening is a very kind of familiar structure for me. And I think it's a wonderful media and like a wonderful way to get stories. I don't think this book would have hit the same had it been done in a weekly format or if it had been mm-hmm. done in a prose format just because of the nature of the landscapes and there is a power in seeing somebody have an anxiety attack through still frames rather than reading and i i think the nature of their growth and their emotional experiences could be seen and understood in a more powerful way but god it was also just so good like i'm sorry and i really love the fact that diamond the cat was Every time they came to a stop, would be like, all right, I'm out of the car and I'm just going to go hide in a tree. And they're like, cat, what the heck? And the diamond is like, it's just what I do. I'm cute. I'm going to wander off. I'm going <laughs> to be how I'm going to be the cat you need me to be at the time you need me. And it's great. And I'm just going to like also be totally fine when you pick me up and put me in the car because you're trying to get me home, which is completely across the state. And I don't know how I got here and you don't know how I got here and it's fine. There's enough going on that that's the least consequential of action of questions. You know, that's like yeah. the one you don't ask because they have so many other things. Like, oh, cats are mysterious teaching creatures. Bee how to drive. Just wonderful. Oh, wonderful. God. That was such a great scene. Like th- multiple scenes, but I mean, like t- compressed together. It was such a great growth arc. Like it felt very much like it mattered. It mattered in a very deep and personal way. Like not not directly related to her experiences but also kind of related to her experiences and yeah i just yeah and then like later thinking back on it some of the narrative things that trigger b whatever like the first of the book when you're like oh god she's so juvenile and now thinking back on it i'm like oh that was her that was her fucking assaulter that was her Mm -hmm. that was her predator that is a a part of every single one of those situations Uh, Which is kind of, like, leads me to the other question I want to ask you, like, as part of this conversation. I think this is something Mm -hmm. that I struggle with now a little bit more, that I'm a bit more aware and open to the idea of helping people feel safe in what they're consuming. How do you kind of reconcile recommending potentially triggering pieces of literature to people who might need this sort of representation in their life? Like, this is something that I've been struggling with, particularly in the last couple of months. Because I found out about some very strong triggers in my friend group, and I want everyone to read, just like you said, because I want to talk about things constantly, even mm-hmm. if I, to do that, I have to start a podcast from the ground up. Like, I don't care. I want to talk about this. <laughs> but also, like, I want to be a loving friend, and and I want to be a safe place. And how do you kind of reconcile that when you're when you're offering people looks so, in the world? Because I, I have a very low trigger warning yeah. base, but I also haven't had a lot of, I've been privileged. I haven't had a lot of excessively triggering things happen to me. So, like, some people have that sensitivity that I don't have. And trying to be respectful for it, I want to know how you do that, because I respect the way that you respect others, I guess. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, <laughs> I also have a lot of experience in sales, so I am usually just honest about it. Usually when I'm pitching something, I start with how I experienced the book because that it allows me to frame it to judge interest and not make any presumptions about the person I'm talking to. You know, if I 
see somebody come into the store who's buying certain comic books who's dressed a certain way might for the sake of this book like in the nature of the shoppers if they came in with a pronoun pin and a pride flag i would put this as a potential recommendation now this isn't a book that we've stocked in the store because it is a newer thing uh, fits a little bit outside of our realm and harder to get in when i talk about it you know i'll talk about how it's a story about grief how it's a story about overcoming agency and moving past um trauma and i'll I'll use very basic terms and uh to introduce the idea and kind of gauge things and like i just make it kind of a polite part of my everyday conversation i don't want to go up and be like hey this is a book about sexual assault and death uh, because that comes off so strong. But if I say, you know, it's a story about these two women who are going through this journey of overcoming that, getting back agency, getting back or moving past grief and coping with loss, it changes the tone to fit the book a little bit more. And it might mm-hmm. better prepare people for it. It also shows that, I, like, it allows me to kind of bring it up a little bit more and introducing themes I can then say specifically it has to do with whatever topic is in the book. I also, when it comes to friends and making recommendations, I know some of them have the capacity to handle things a little bit better (laughs) than others. Mm -hmm. And I do kind of straight up and I'm like, like for some of them, I might straight up go be like, hey, any of y'all want to read a book about two lesbian friends who are overcoming problem A and B and uh, it's a surreal journey with kind of a Ghibli influences and um, focuses mostly on the recovery than the actual trauma to get various responses. You know, like it's, it's, yeah, I, I like to present it gently because of the the sensitive nature of the material. But I also like to focus on the fact that like, I, I try not to do it in such a way that I'm coddling the person I'm talking to and I, in a non disingenuous way. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to just say, yeah, these two women drive through West Texas and talk about their problems and have a cat because that doesn't tell you anything. But Mm -hmm. even in the back of the book, Laura Ruby, who has the quote, she even uses the words, it'll break your heart. And it's, it's a good frame. It's a good back matter. I try not to use. Yeah, definitely. I try not to use words that aren't already included in the advertising for the book. Like the book itself even says this beautiful haunting story of friendship, loss, heartbreak, and a traumatic revelation about sexual assault culminates in an exquisite example of human connection. Like I wouldn't step outside of what's already on the book Mm -hmm. besides saying, talking about my experience reading it and maybe a little bit about Tilly herself. So that was is how I would probably introduce it to friends who are sensitive. I'd be like, look, I read this book. It's about this woman. Here's what I can tell you about it without just walking you through it. Are you interested? And then kind of push a little bit more from there. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I like that better than just the straight up trigger warning situation. I think that's that's my main thing that I'm struggling with really is just when you just put a trigger warning on there, it kind of lumps two different, several different kinds of properties together you know you have the sexual assault trigger warning on the boys but that feels very different than the sexual assault trigger warning on this like that's completely different yes completely different it couldn't be further from each other right and i think it's because the boys focuses less on in the boys it's a plot device that i think is done for the shock factor like it's done to show you you are watching the dehumanization of this character 
right? Mm -hmm. And from what I've heard in the TV show, there's some comeuppance. There's a bunch of other stuff that comes with it. I still don't care. (laughs) But in Are You Listening, you are watching that reacquisition of agency. You're watching her recover and grow and confide in others about this. And you're still seeing her not be in that situation being re-traumatized does that make sense as well like why it's so different like you're seeing her in this insular journey where she's still having to recover much like the character in the boys but like unlike it it was something that happened before our introduction to her and she's not in that space anymore so it becomes less of a revenge and more of a freedom. Right. You know, it puts me in the mind of this movie that I watched during some formative years of mine about the Marquis de Sade. Um, had some pretty famous actors in it, actually. Um, Jeffrey Rush and Joaquin Phoenix and um, the woman from Titanic. It had very triggering. I mean, like the Marquis de Sade, right? He's one of the formative characters that is attributed with the birth of the BDSM kink, some genre, whatever. Yeah. Very graphic. Mm-hmm. And it's based in a, a mental health facility during the French Revolution, basically. And um, it's very, or like the, right before the French Revolution. And so there's some very triggering aspects in there. And you're seeing some very problematic behavior from all of these people. And it's humanizing all of the people within there traumatic behavior you know so you understand them as people a little bit as like what's propelling their actions and like that probably isn't a great example because it's more of a gothic horror sort of like in the same vein as like mary riley and stuff where the safety of the Mm -hmm. female character is not actually something that's respected like you are seeing traumatic things happening to those female characters and i mean like it's not it's not a safe movie for people who want to experience this kind of stuff in a growing type way in an overcoming type sense like this like the book that we're reading right now but um i have seen other things that don't come immediately to mind where they do sort of try to humanize the person who was the assaulter and i feel Mm -hmm. like that's sort of like the middle ground between the boys in this book is where they're just like talking about cycles of abuse and violence versus individual instances of abuse and violence versus using it as a plot device and i just feel like the trigger warning system is it's great i mean like it's good to be able to help give people more agency in what they're reading and experiencing and, and bringing into their life and mental health but i wish that there was some more sort of archetype breakdowns you know where it's it's a sexual assault trigger warning mm-hmm. in a cycle of violence focus or a plot device like gratuitous situation or a um you know right. like recovery base or recovery and- yeah but i i do feel like there's a place for the cycle of violence conversation as well you know, like, not to minimize that, mm-hmm. I I do believe that that is an understanding that was helpful for me as I went through various situations, like, understanding the family dynamic of friends or my own family dynamic or just, like, coming to terms with the fact that your family members are sometimes sad and that's sort of what's going on between, uh, when they're doing these things, like, not catching you when you fall from a tree. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. people are people and sort of placing them in a more, like, a de- demonizing them, humanizing them. And then, like, changing your your relationship with what humanity means, you know, like, understanding that it comes with teeth and claws mm-hmm. that necessarily isn't necessarily something that makes you feel safer, but it's something that keeps you safer in the end because you are a much more cautious individual with who you give your trust and your body. Uh, I don't know. I feel like I, yeah. I have a very – I have a lot of questions still on how to navigate 
art and literature when it comes to these topics. And, you know, I respect people's decisions to keep their mental health space clean, but I also am trying to figure out what that means for me and like the kind of experiences I force myself through. Cause I know I haven't been the kindest to my own mental health sometimes with the, with the properties that I pick up. And I, Right. And I'm just sort of wondering what that means for the art form as a, as like a whole, like taking my experiences with it and kind of looking at what does it mean to keep yourself sheltered and what does it mean I to... I think there's some catharsis. Yeah. Cathartically experienced. Like, yeah, exactly. That's a good word for it. Yeah. No, for me, you know, there is a darkness to the world that I have experienced in various ways. I mean, just existing in it as a woman, other things in my personal life that I don't really need to share and then even working in social services there there is bad stuff that happens to people for no reason like it's just it's life and there are a lot of bad feelings that people can carry and a lot of negative just self-care so reading stories that lean into kind of a darker or honest aspect of humanity is a sense of i mean it's a catharsis for me like I, I don't want to apply the word therapeutic to things, but it is formative. It is framing to read a story of someone struggling with emotions that I've had or the emotions that people around me have had or experiences they've had and have it framed as a point of growth. You know, like this maybe ties to the representation matters part again, but there there is something valid in reading someone experiencing a, a shared struggle and overcoming it. And that's kind of what I like about the book. And it's also, there's like all kinds of different feelings for it. I mean, there's a lot of media I enthusiastically avoid. Like I avoid um, the boys for uh, personal reasons. I don't really think it has a narrative that I want. I tried it and I was like, not feeling it. I avoid Game of Thrones because I do also think it's gratuitous violence with very little narrative payoff. Um, but that's also just a preference for storytelling. Um, and I, I avoid a lot of other shows that exhibit like just violence for the sake of there's darkness and violence because I, I know it. I help people overcome all different kinds of violence. I, I make those active choices for myself by doing research and by trying it and just going, nope, this isn't going to work for me and moving on. But for material like this and for a lot of other books, I do lean into kind of sadder stories. I lean into mm -hmm. stories that have morally ambiguous or place things more firmly into that gray uh, kind of transient ephemeral area. And it's it doesn't put me in a position where I forgive people like it, it both it both allows me to have a more flexible empathetic perspective whereas at the same time solidifying where i feel morally about right and wrong i can read a book about a villain or watch a show about a villain and i can go man that person has had a crappy background they've had a painful growth they have had horrible things happen to them but they are still acting out evil and that is unacceptable but like i can i can still understand them i i can still put them in that that is an evil thing to do camp like i can still delineate between finding them to be empathetic characters and also evil characters and i feel like that really comes from reading 
some of the things that lean into the uncomfortable parts of life and reality. So it's just that kind of catharsis, emotional flexibility and strengthening for me. I don't know if that kind of helps clarify things for you, but reading uncomfortable things, I I take breaks from it. Like, don't get me wrong. I will read or watch fluffy, happy, feel-good shows that I have the happy endings that I can expect. If just to clean my head out from whatever negativity is there. And if y'all are grown people and you're like, I'm going to watch a kitty show or kitty movie and feel embarrassed, don't. Because like that simplicity from kids media, you should just lean into it sometimes. Being an adult is hard. Being And sometimes you just need clear cut, you know, bad versus good versus light and fluffy. And it's okay. I do it a lot. But yeah. yeah, that's that's kind of my perspective. It's it's a catharsis kind of strengthening thing. And like being uncomfortable and sitting in that uncomfortable spot allow me to figure out where am I comfortable, where am I not, and understand more about my limits yeah, on what and I boundaries can boundaries with other people. Yeah. Like what, what can I expect yeah. in, or accept in my relationships? And I, I really just am – yeah, I'm glad that we did this and I want to do more novels like this in the future because I feel like it is definitely a more – it's more of an experience. You know, like it's hard to – quantify exactly how much more but it is it feels like there was more there to unpack and you know it's not just the subject matter it's also just the vehicle it's a very beautiful narrative vehicle to to have just a solid noveling art and narrative combination you know and and i really do think there's something special there that yeah Definitely, definitely. All right. Well, that was our heavy topic for the day. Thank you for joining us and sticking with us through this entire time. Remember to check out our social media on Facebook or Twitter. And we hope you have a wonderful day. Thanks for joining us. Bye. Bye. Just be like, I'm really drunk and I just love comics.